Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. Dial 678-ESOG now for a solution to your foundation and waterproofing problems. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. There is no doubt that Georgia has much bigger football games left to play this season than the one that's going to play Saturday against Georgia Tech. The SEC championship is gigantic in every way imaginable, and the presumption is is that either by winning that or maybe even without winning that, then Georgia also gets a chance to look at the college football playoff opportunity there as well, and you know what's at stake there with the clear path towards a national championship so in a lot of ways what's going to happen for Saturday's game against Georgia Tech can seem a little bit obscured by everything else that's still to come after that but longtime Georgia fans and just college football fans in general still appreciate the idea of a rivalry game that that when you play a game it doesn't have to have championship implications to matter now in the NFL that's probably not the case in the NFL you got Falcon Saints and you know Chiefs Raiders and you know uh Jets, Patriots, you can go kind of, you know, all throughout the uh, the the list there uh, of rivalry type games. But for the most part in the NFL, it's all based on winning a division, qualifying for the playoffs, and it's almost all related to how it sets you up for the postseason. College ball is a little different than that. College ball, even though Georgia has massive postseason stakes, they're going to start playing out two Saturdays from now, also in Atlanta in the SEC championship. There's still just going to be a huge number of Georgia fans who say, we'll worry about that then for this upcoming Saturday I'm thinking about clean old-fashioned hey I'm thinking about my uncle's cousin who's a tech fan or that guy that I work with who's a tech fan or you know my teacher from when I was in blah 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 who was a tech fan I'm thinking about those people who you know I see on a regular basis and those people who you know like to rib me in the rare occurrence when tech has a, a nice moment in this series and those people that I kind of enjoy ribbing every other year after that Thanksgiving table uh, all you know all the stuff that kind of goes on related to that for now it's this game against Georgia Tech that matters on Saturday and I think this these kinds of situations always put Kirby Smart in a little bit of an interesting situation because you know smart very publicly downplays a lot of things that that a lot of Georgia fans probably feel a little bit differently on and there was a statement yesterday from Kirby Smart that on the one hand is kind of factually accurate but on the other hand if this truly was the way that Smart felt then I think most Georgia fans would probably be a, a little disappointed. And far be it for me to suggest that Kirby's any, ever anything less than completely forthright with one of his statements to the media. But there was, a, there, there was a statement from Kirby yesterday, similar to previous statements he's made around this same time in previous years, that almost seemed like it might be sandbagging just a little bit about his actual true feelings related to something. So he was asked yesterday about his feelings, his players' feelings, about the Georgia versus Georgia Tech rivalry now there's a lot of facts a lot of truth in what smart says here but there's an overall tone maybe an emotional uh description here that probably doesn't strike the right note for every uga fan this is kirby on georgia versus georgia tech take a listen to this from yesterday i wasn't a big college football fan as a recruit so it's hard for me how i viewed it you know i didn't come to georgia georgia tech games i didn't grow up going to those i grew up going to high school football games and watching tv on saturday so i don't I really have as i got here there was, you know, an ingrained, built-in belief that you had to beat your in-state rival. But we also had conference rivals. So it just became, you know, you play on something so many times 
that it falls on deaf ears sometimes if you say, well, that's our rival, that's our rival, that's our rival. We don't get into that because it really just loses its effectiveness if you use it all the time. So who's not our rival? Um, and that's, you know, we look at it as a chance to grow and, and we want to become the best team we can become and they stand in our way. So we have an opportunity to go play them and you use game reps to grow and become better everything. Everything gets heightened uh, in a game rep. So that's what we want to do. We want to go out here and make sure our team is getting better with each and every performance and we're trying to, to play that perfect game. Um, but it's not about you know the history of the rivalry because our guys they don't even they weren't even born when I was playing. So our guys have no recollection of that. So there are two things that Kirby Smart says that are completely factually correct. And there's one thing that he says there that emotionally probably misses the mark just a little bit. Let me give you the two factually correct things there for a moment. First of all, Kirby's right, and he said this a million times. And sometimes Kirby Smart kind of says this as a way of deflecting, but it's still factually correct. That Georgia does have a lot of rivalries. And part of the reason for that is is just basic geography georgia's a big state i mean it's it, it, it's a large landmass, and so way up north you got people who care about tennessee to the east you got folks over in augusta who care about south carolina down in the south you know go to valdosta area there are a lot of folks that hate florida over in the west think about columbus carrollton that area a lot of those folks hate auburn and in the metro atlanta area maybe you got more folks that hate georgia tech but part of the reason why it feels like georgia has a lot of rivalries is because georgia's a big state has a lot of border programs and you know that's one of the things that creates a rivalry is just kind of that 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 proximity and certain parts of the state have proximity to other programs out of the state and so you kind of create a lot of rivalries related to that kirby's not wrong when he says that that's one of the things that is i guess somewhat unique to georgia in the fact that they can justifiably call a lot of different opponents a lot of different series played annually can kind of call those rivalries the other thing that's smart says here which is also kind of factually true is that georgia's in pursuit of a national championship right now and for a team that's in pursuit of a national championship you can make a case that georgia tech who's a 34 point home underdog on saturday is barely a blip on the radar for a team whose aspirations are so high and the most important thing for uga overall is to use game reps to continue to improve play by play quarter by quarter full game getting ready for the sec championship next saturday the fact that georgia needs more tune-up time and as much as it can to be as ready as possible for all the big stuff that's going to start coming in december that's also kind of factually true there as well but if georgia fans really believe that's all there was here i think you'd hear a huge number of uga fans who are actually pretty concerned oh no they would say kirby smart's not taking this tech rivalry seriously kirby smart's looking ahead to alabama kirby smart's downplaying all of this and listen i say this after having been the guy for years and years and years who said that georgia's biggest rivalry is florida i believe that's true i don't believe tech comes close to, to mirroring what what florida is for georgia as a rivalry but i do understand the nature of some georgia fans that if they thought that this was the authentic true feelings of kirby smart i think they would be a little bit worried that that Georgia is just not taking Georgia Tech seriously enough because the average Georgia fan doesn't just want to beat Tech. They want to throttle Tech. They want to leave no doubt about who, as the saying has gone around here for a while, who truly runs this state. Georgia fans want to really put that on display against Tech on Saturday. Now, here's the good news, and you already, for the most part, know this, that Kirby kind of says what he needs to say in a press conference and, you know, whatever else, but the actual actions when it comes to, to rivalry games 
certainly tell you a completely different story. The recent audio that we shared from the leaked speech that Kirby Smart gave at halftime of the game against Florida, that shows you the true intensity that Smart expresses when it comes to a rivalry or the HBTFD celebration after beating Auburn a couple of years ago. Another example of that, all the things that you say about Gus Malzahn, some of the stuff that he kind of hinted at when it came to Dan Mullen. Kirby Smart's clearly a guy that understands the nature of rivalries. And you may come back and say, yeah, but B.A., those are SEC rivalries. You know, that's the, 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 those are teams that kind of stand on a similar plane to Georgia, historically speaking, Florida and Auburn. How about for Georgia Tech in particular? Well, I think there's even some evidence that even though the Georgia Tech rivalry actually matters to fewer Georgia fans than it used to, I think there's never been a time in my lifetime where this rivalry has seemed less significant than it seems right now. I think you've got plenty of tangible reasons to believe that Kirby Smart doesn't quite feel that way. Now, I'm going to give you a couple examples of this, and both of these instances kind of go deep into the past here for a moment. So a lot of you remember my buddy, Mike Johnson. And by the way, I've got maybe a big announcement coming up about Mike here that I'll tell you more about. But let me let me push that aside with Mike for a moment now and just kind of go back to a time years ago when Mike and I used to do SEC Country Live together each and every day. Mike's a former Alabama All-American, played with Nick Saban, uh, coached, you know, Saban was his final coach there at Alabama. And Mike told a great story. And I think this is so fascinating. And there's an obvious correlation here for for Georgia and Georgia Tech there as well. That and you're gonna hear Mike explain this in a moment. That when it came to the Alabama Auburn rivalry, when Saban first got there at, at Alabama, maybe he was not quite bought into the Iron Bowl because all those wins for Tommy Tuberville prior to Saban and getting there had happened against a coach besides Tim. But then in 2007, Tuberville actually beat Saban. And you go back to 2008, all of a sudden that rivalry mattered then a, a lot more to Saban. It became a lot more personal. Mike tells the story better than I do. But when you hear Mike Johnson talking about being behind closed doors with Nick Saban and understanding and viewing the way in which Saban came to appreciate the importance of the Iron Bowl. I think there's an obvious connection for Kirby Smart at Georgia when it comes to Georgia Tech. So listen to Mike talking about Nick Saban, and then we'll make the comparison for why that's potentially also true for Kirby Smart. Here's Mike Johnson from the past. That was Nick Saban's first taste of the rivalry, really. So I don't think he understood it. Throughout the week, he kind of explained it to us like, hey, guys, this rivalry means a lot to a lot of people in this state. And it was so funny because when you come back in 2008 and Nick Saban had tasted a little bit of loss on that side of the rivalry, it was almost like he was more irritated. He was like, hey, this game means a lot to everybody in this locker room now. You know, this, this game, this is a big deal for this football team and for this university and for this athletic department. You know, it was almost like getting a taste of that loss the year before to Tommy Tuberville and company really amped him up to try to go out on a, on a wedge and really develop that team in a way that – to, to kind of put Auburn behind it. I think it's different for Kirby Smart. Obviously, he's been a part of that rivalry, so he understands that and, and maybe a little bit better than most people that are coming from the outside in. And I think that you try to play into the player's psyche when you talk about these rivalry games. How valuable is that, first of all, to hear from a guy in the first person that said, I watched the way that Nick Saban, Alabama, came to appreciate the Iron Bowl behind closed doors because in his first attempt at playing against Auburn, Saban lost. Maybe you know Saban couldn't have imagined losing to Tommy Tuberville, uh, but he did. And all of a sudden, for the next year, that Iron Bowl meant a lot more to him. And for Kirby Smart, the same thing could potentially be true there as well, that Smart I mean, let's face it, human nature, he might have the temptation to want to turn his nose up at Georgia Tech and say, this game is beneath me. 
But one of the things that would prevent even privately Kirby Smart from doing that is the fact that Tech got him. In 2016, Tech beat him. And I remember that day very well. You know, my son was four at the time and was dying to go to his first Georgia game. My wife couldn't go. Uh, so I said, okay, son, you can get in, get in the car with me and you can come to the game. We, we're going to sit in the stands there that day, thinking it'd be an easy day. You know, Georgia was not a great team in 2016, but, you know, Tech just wasn't very much at all. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll take him to the game. We'll do a quick post game show and then we'll get home. And then lo and behold, Tech pulls that upset, you know, gets the interception there late to kind of change the game. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of us were just kind of shell shocked. Oh, my gosh, Tech beat Georgia. And much the same way the Auburn win against Alabama in 2007 kind of stuck with Nick Saban, made him appreciate the rivalry more than he otherwise would at Iron Bowl. You don't think the fact that Kirby took a personal L to Georgia Tech, even though that he grew up, you know, going to Georgia and certainly understanding the nature of that rivalry as an alumnus, and the fact that Smart took an L personally to Georgia Tech, you don't think that impacts the way that he thinks about all of this? Why? Well, we have even more evidence that might be the case. Once again, let me go deep into the past here. I'm reaching into the Dog Nation archives here. I've gone into the dusty vault of old Dog Nation clips. I gave you one from Mike Johnson there going back circa 2017 or so. Let me give you one now, circa 2018. Do you all remember when the great Cameron Nizalek, the uh, terrific former Georgia punter, was our co-host in the Dog Nation postgame show? Going into that tech game in 2018 at the time, uh, Cameron Nizalek, having spent time with Kirby Smart in that locker room with him, understanding you know the things that Smart says privately that he doesn't say publicly, and we know there's plenty of that. Uh, Cameron Nizalek, the former Georgia punter, also former colleague of ours here at Dog Nation, kind of let it be known what Smart's real feelings are about George Tech. Smart may say to the media, hey, I grew up watching cartoons on Saturday. I wasn't watching college football. But Cameron Nislick let us know about what Kirby really feels about Georgia Tech going back to 2018. This is Cam. Just a little peek behind the curtain. Kirby Smart hates Georgia Tech. Throughout the season, they actually, once a week or so, they do a little period for Georgia Tech. Even though we're not playing them, they focus a little bit on Georgia Tech every week. Now, obviously, the focusing on tech every week back then is more related to stopping the triple option. We understand that. But it's really the more the emotion of the statement that matters there. A guy who played for Kirby, who spent time privately with Kirby, says, trust me, Kirby Smart hates Georgia Tech. So let me bottom line this entire discussion. There is no doubt that Georgia's got much bigger games still to come this season than the one that it's going to play on Saturday against Georgia Tech. But the good news is those games don't take place for another couple of weeks at least, and then a few more weeks after that when you talk about the college football playoff. There's no reason not to give your full attention to Georgia Tech on Saturday. There's no reason not to demonstrate one more time who, do, who does truly run this state. I get the impression that Kirby Smart's motivated to do just that. I get the impression these Georgia players take that cue from him. They're motivated to do that there as well. So Kirby may shrug it off and say, hey, UGA's got a lot of rivals. But privately, we get the impression Kirby Smart appreciates those rivalries. And he is quite motivated to make sure the dogs win them. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Engineered Solutions of Georgia. We're glad to have you, no matter how you get to us. Video, we start at 945 with our first and 15 on dognation.com and the Dog Nation app. Uh, 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, all the other video platforms, fa- uh, podcast, uh, Apple, Spotify, all the podcast platforms, the Google Player, for those of you who have the Android devices, of course, radio at noon on App and Sports Radio 960 The Ref. Just happy to have all of you with us. 
podcast no matter which of those platforms is the most convenient for you we're just glad you take the time to let us be the folks that narrate this georgia football conversation for you here on a daily basis big thanks to esog for making it all possible as i said you know foundation waterproofing issues these are big deals and you know we're heading towards the end of a year and this is one of those things at the beginning of the year maybe you said boy in 2021 i gotta get this scene about water's creeping in it's doing damage to my house foundation stuff those cracks aren't going away you see them in your walls you see them down your basement you see some of that kind of stuff you know it's something and you said this was going to be the year you got it done well now the year's almost done and you haven't quite got it done yet and you know you don't need to put it off any longer and you don't so Take the wise decision. Reach out to my friends at Engineered Solutions of Georgia. This is good for a number of reasons. First of all, ESOG, proud partners of UGA. It's always a good thing to support those that support the dogs, and that's what ESOG does. They've been longtime friends of ours here on Dog Nation Daily as well. I'm incredibly appreciative of that. And they're also really smart. They got two full-time engineers on staff. That means they understand the structural integrity of your home. They understand the way in which water intrusion and, and foundation issues impact all of that. And they, as a solution, based company that's why the word solutions is in their name they can help you solve that problem so numbers very easy to remember so simply dial it 678-ESOG now that's 678-ESOG now that'll get you in touch with engineered solutions of Georgia and they're going to do some great work to restore your home from a waterproofing from a from a foundation standpoint they're going to do great great stuff for you there on that love Jay and the whole team over there at engineered solutions of Georgia so make sure you check them out here today all right, it will be Connor Riley coming up in a moment. Connor's a big advocate for the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry. So we'll talk to him about you know what this rivalry means here in 2021, what it might mean in the future. We'll do a lot of that coming up, and we'll get to kind of the game itself on Saturday as that final tune-up before the SEC Championship the following weekend. So we'll do a lot of that with him coming up with a Kroger fresh take. That's going to be a lot of fun. Let me also give you a couple of a heads up here about something. This is actually our final Dog Nation Daily. Uh, I should say tomorrow is actually our final Dog Nation Daily of the week. So we're going to do a show on Tuesday. Tuesday show on Wednesday and then for Thanksgiving Day and uh, for Friday Black Friday we're going to be off on Dog Nation Daily still regular programming on the weekend with our Kroger kickoff pregame show and our Dog Nation postgame show presented by the UGA Bookstore and a lot of those other shows like uh, Go With The Flow and A Chase For The Championship. We're going to be doing those there as well and kind of their regular slots. Just know Dog Nation Daily on Thursday and Friday. So be with us tomorrow for one more big day rolling into the Thanksgiving uh, weekend and I hope all of you are getting ready to enjoy yourself there on that too. So uh, more big details on that uh, to come tomorrow but, but just want to give you a heads up no show for us here on thursday nor friday but obviously getting ready for a big weekend there is it the flats is that what they call it on the flats we'll be on the flats i never understood why it's the flats but we'll be on the flats on saturday uh for our kroger kickoff our dog nation post game show presented by the uga bookstore and everything else for now though let's go around the doghouse and it's uh, presented today by george's own credit union and kirby smart had a very interesting exchange yesterday he was asked about Nicobe Dean, the Georgia linebacker, who is up for the Buckus Award. And Dean right now is playing in kind of an ensemble cast of linebackers. First of all, Quay Walker's had a very good season. Channing Tindall, as of late, has kind of come on like a madhouse. I mean, he is playing amazing. And yet, Nicobe Dean is that ever present force there, too. Probably the most statistically dominant player on the Georgia team here this year. But that's not always saying much, just given the fact that there's a lot of carries, not carries, there's a lot of snaps that are shared, a lot of glory that gets shared on this Georgia defense. 
And so Kirby was kind of asked yesterday whether the the fact that that Dean kind of shares the spotlight, if that hurts his chances of winning a Buckus Award. Of course, we saw a Georgia linebacker, Roquan Smith, win the Buckus Award a couple of years ago, back in 2017, been more than a couple now. But back in 2017, we saw Roquan bring home the Buckus Award then. What about um, what about Dean's chances of winning the Buckus this year? And why should he be in consideration for award like this? Well, Kirby Smart gave a very forceful answer. This is Kirby because he's one of the best linebackers in the country. And if the award is based on statistics and number of snaps, shame on the award because that's not what it's about. It's supposed to go to the best linebacker in the country. And I've you know, been very fortunate to coach guys that have won that at multiple places, and he's in that same category of guys. you know. And uh, it's tough because you know, I think Quay and Channing are deserving of it. But you know what's great about those three guys? They just want to win. And that's what's been special about this team because as these accolades and awards and finalists have come out, those three guys are, are not worried about any of it. They're worried about winning a championship. And uh, I think Nakobe would tell you before anybody on our team, it's a whole lot more important how he grows and plays and continues to lead our team than just about that award. Uh, but he's one of the most explosive, uh, best blitzing linebackers, smartest that I've seen. And, you know, Quay and Channing both have really good strengths, too. They complement each other uh, really well, all three of them. So listen, I absolutely believe everything that Smart says there. I believe that Dean is quite deserving of the Buckus Award. And obviously, it'd be an incredible feat to have him mention in that discussion again, just so quickly after Roquan Smith won the thing. You know, there was always this thought of who's the next Roquan going to be at Georgia. And Nicobe Dean kind of came in with some of that hype around him. And he has, I think, pretty clearly lived up to it as well as almost anyone can. Now, listen, from an individual single season standpoint, it's hard to be better than Roquan was in 2017. But certainly, Nicobe Dean's not embarrassing himself and trying to live into that role with the way that he's playing here this year and you know we tout Jordan Davis a lot for the Heisman and we made a big deal about Davis but that's not to say that we don't think that someone like Dean is obviously deserving of those individual accolades there as well we think Dean's play on the field speaks for itself there and all of that the other thing that I think you can't help but think about in regards to this is is that this is clearly Smart's vision for the program you know most I think coaches probably thought that what Smart set out to try to do a few years ago which is too hard to do either you would fall behind in the recruiting trail you couldn't convince players to come in here and share glory with each other to share statistical success with each other you couldn't convince players to do this but that's what smart's doing why is georgia's defense playing in a historic clip right now is because you have more than just nicobe dean there at linebacker you've got channing tindall who i think smart and this is not puffery i think smart's correct that in a different situation different set of circumstances a guy like tindall could be a buckus award winner and i truly think the same thing is probably true for quay walker there as well to say nothing of the historically good georgia defensive line and what you know georgia's getting from some of its outside linebackers throughout the season there there too there is just a uh, a lot of there's a lot of success being shared right now on the part of, of the Georgia defense. And in 2021, when the transfer portal is more ever-present than it's ever been before, convincing players to want to do that, convincing players to want to come be a part of this. And it's not going to be for everybody. Some guys are going to go chase individual glory, or some guys are going to go chase easier 
you know, less difficult path towards playing time. And if that's what's good for other people, then, you know, shake their hands, wish them well to do it. But other players are going to prove their own greatness by the greatness they surround themselves with. And that's why the Georgia defense is doing as well as it is. It's fairly obviously Kirby's vision for the program. I think that Kirby deserves some credit for the way in which this vision is coming to life. And it's going to be on display on Saturday against Georgia Tech and then against Alabama, the SEC championship after that there as well. It's around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at Georgia's own credit union and obviously as you head towards the holiday season time to buy some of those gifts and no better way to make sure you're getting the most for your gift buying needs than with one of those visa signature and platinum cards from georgia's own credit union because there's all kinds of incentives when you sign up for something like this when you get one of those visa signature platinum cards you get the convenience of contactless payments that's a a really good thing but you can also earn flex rewards which can be used for about anything gift cards travel cashback merchandise also as a bonus you can earn up to 150 dollars when you open one of these new platinum or signature cards. That's really cool there as well. Now, there are some restrictions that apply, so you want to find out more, and you want to apply. So go to georgiasown.org for your chance to do that. That's georgiasown.org, and you'll have a chance to do that. Georgia's Own Credit Union presenting Around the Doghouse for you here today. All right, coming up in a little bit, I'm going to give y'all something that uh, I think some of you said that you missed. More mockery of Florida here. Yeah, we're going to kick them when they're down just a little bit. We do that from time to time, and well, I guess, what is it they say sometimes? Sorry, not sorry. I guess we're sorry, not sorry when it comes to that. We'll do some more of that before we're done on the program today. But for now, on everything around UGA, getting ready for the in-state rival, getting ready for the college football playoff, maybe, SEC championship, definitely. Let's do all that right now. It's Connor Riley. It's a Kroger fresh take, and good to have all of you with us here today, too. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to Connor Riley. Here, time for a Kroger Fresh Take with him. Always great to be able to talk some Georgia football with Connor. Of course, Connor in Athens yesterday. Good coverage of the dogs and got a chance to see a little bit of practice and got a chance to kind of find out where this team is as it gets ready to roll into the in-state rivalry known as clean old-fashioned hate there on Saturday. So, Connor, let me start big picture and we'll kind of drill down after that. What's on your mind here as the dogs get ready for Tech? big favorite on the road in a venue they haven't lost since 1999 so you know seemingly it's coming up all UGA here on this one so what's on your mind related to Tech as you get ready for that game on Saturday yeah I think there's a couple things I'm interested in seeing you know do we see Jamari Sire do we see Nolan Smith out there do we potentially see George Pickens out there in terms of health and obviously continued development of those young guys but I think first and foremost and more than anything I'd love to see another Georgia win over Georgia Tech uh, this rivalry means a lot to me a lot of people from my area my high school friends that I have know growing up they are big Georgia Tech fans Georgia Tech alums and I get the sense that in the wider dog nation multiverse that this Georgia Tech game means less and less every year as long as the certain current Georgia Tech head coach is employed there because he has proven incapable of making this program into a competitive one following in the footsteps of Paul Johnson. Yeah, I think that's right. And you know, listen, I always think that the responsibility for making a rivalry feel big relies on the little brother in the rivalry. Like, it's not George's job to make the tech rivalry feel big that's tech's job to make that feel big georgia obviously has a lot of other things that deserve its attention so you know 
Tech needs that coach that's going to stir the pot. You know, I think Paul Johnson accidentally did that at times, but the fact is, I think one of the reasons why Tech fans didn't like him very much is he didn't seem to really get the importance of that rivalry for a Tech fan. Johnson didn't seem to understand that. Johnson did a lot of things well at Tech. He won, you know, games with less talent than almost anyone could have ever imagined, possibly, you know, possibly. But in terms of embracing what football is truly like in the state of Georgia, Johnson seemed to have a couple blind spots about that. But in the case of Jeff Collins, I don't know. It's like he doesn't do anything. I mean, they're obviously losing a lot of games. So that maybe maybe it's his biggest problem. Maybe he'd have a little more pizzazz if, if they were winning more. But I mean, can you do something to make this feel like a rivalry? Otherwise, why would Georgia pay any attention to Georgia Tech? Right. We heard so much, and, and I put a lot of this in the current state of the rivalry on Jeff Collins. You you look at it. He brought in all that bluster, that all that talk about, hey, we're rebranding, we're claiming the 404, we're going to claim our beloved Waffle House and make that yeah. an Atlanta staple and make that about us. And then the first year, they come out, win three games, that's understandable, you're transitioning away from a triple option offense. Last year, they go out, they win three games again. Second year, you're still trying to get your players in there, you're taking advantage of the transfer portal and bringing guys in through there, and that's something Kirby Smart had touched on. But then this year, year three, you've got a majority of your players, guys you recruited in that program. And you are once again staring at a yeah. three-win season in the face. And all that bluster, all that talk, all right now looks like a lot of hot air, As especially as this season has gone on. They've gotten progressively worse. I think they've lost five straight games now. If Georgia beats Georgia Tech on Saturday, Georgia's going to have as many ACC wins this season as Georgia Tech does. That's funny. And I would point out, if you want to go in, in – and look at what Georgia Tech did last weekend against a Notre Dame team that is a fringe playoff contender, and I'm sure we'll get into them here in a minute. Georgia Tech absolutely just laid down and lost 55 to nothing. Now, you would think a rivalry game might be able to get this team up for it, but if if this Georgia Tech team laid down for Notre Dame and they've got Georgia coming in there, do you know there are 30-year-old 30 30 year old Georgia Tech fans out there that have seen one home win over Georgia in their lifetime? It's amazing. One, and they were nine years old when that happened. So... I you know the 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 back and forth of it. This was a much more competitive rivalry, even going back into the '90s and seeing what it was there. But a lot of this falls on Jeff Collins, and as a proponent of this rivalry and someone who wants to see it and believes that I actually think Georgia Tech could be a very good job if the right coach is brought in there. Jeff Collins' buyout is so prohibitive that it really probably protects him from getting moved on from, even though three straight three-win seasons is not what Georgia Tech imagined when they hired him to replace Paul Johnson. Let me just say two things here really quickly. First of all is this, in trying to claim the 404, and I think you know this, Connor, Tech's biggest problem is not even Georgia. Like, there are five or six teams at least that are more relevant in Atlanta than Georgia Tech is. I'm thinking about Clemson. I'm thinking about Tennessee. I'm thinking about Alabama. You know, a lot of of these teams that have made the Atlanta area recruiting hotbed. The fact is, you know, Georgia has not really prioritized Atlanta over really other spots there. So in terms of, hey, we're the 404, you know, we're, we're taking over the 404. They're not really fighting Georgia to do that. Georgia's fan base is well-established one way or another. It's almost like they're fighting South Carolina for that. Can you be more relevant in Atlanta than Shane Beamer is, who's obviously going to come in here? Clemson, which has gone to, like, say, Roswell High School over and over again and gotten recruits. And you think about some of those places, they've really kind of, you know, kind of planted a flag there. The Tech's biggest issue in Atlanta is not even Georgia. It's the half a dozen or so teams you know, from the border states who are always trying to come in Atlanta and get as many players as they can. It's a big goal for Heupel. It's a big goal for Beamer. It's a big goal for Brian Harson. It's a big goal for all those programs. That's the biggest issue facing Tech and its supposed 404 takeover. Right, and 
there's twofold issue with that. And I, I sort of butchered the question I wanted to ask Kirby about it yesterday, about the difficulties of recruiting Atlanta and what comes with that. And I, th- I found one of the more interesting parts of his answer is that sometimes that area is maybe oversaturated and the belief that you have to go out and land and recruit well in there. Because if you look at the way Georgia has recruited the state specifically, they clean up just as well outside of the metro Atlanta right. area. Again, with guys from all over the state, you know, you think Trayvon Walker from down there in Thomaston, you think, uh, you know, guys from outside that metro Atlanta area footprint. Georgia Tech needs to win on both those fronts. They can't just worry about Atlanta because no one has ever, and that's one of the great misnomers when people talk about the Georgia recruiting advantage. This state isn't Louisiana or even, you know, Southern California. You're, there, there is no true big dog here. Yes, Georgia is capable of going in and getting their top players, but who's the top player in the metro Atlanta area this year? It, it's Travis Hunter, and he's yeah. not going to Georgia. And you, if you look back in recent years, more often than not... <laughs> Sorry. Continue, please. If you look back more often than not, the best player in the metro Atlanta area, you think Derek Brown, who, you know, linear, uh, 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 we could say that's Gwinnett. Um, you, you look yeah. back in recent years, some of those top Metro Atlanta players, because they are so often transplants, don't end up going to Georgia. So I think it just speaks to really the problems that Jeff Collins is having trying to get Georgia Tech up and running into a place where I think they could compete with Georgia on a yearly basis. All right, last thing on this topic, then we'll uh, move on and talk about some other things. Here is, to me, the biggest issue for Georgia, Georgia Tech in the future. And by the way, this might still be true if Tech was a top 25 team that we're looking at a landscape in the very near future where it's not even a guarantee that Georgia's going to play Auburn every year. And the overwhelming majority of Georgia fans think that Georgia should be playing Auburn. That's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. We still hear plenty of juice about Auburn when Georgia's about to play them. That's a real rivalry that still matters to a lot of people. But in a world of a of, of a nine-game SEC schedule where there's going to be possibly topsy-turvy stuff, it's not guaranteed that Georgia's going to keep playing Auburn every year. They might, but it's not guaranteed. So in a world where you can't guarantee that, in a world in which Georgia's got these huge non-conference uh, games that are at least for now still on the schedule, with so much change seemingly on the horizon, boy, it certainly seems like it's just going to be hard for the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry to find its, its, its footing, just given the fact that there's so much change seemingly happening around that. And that's not due to the fact that Tech's not very good. As I said before, Tech could be as good as Clemson, and I'm not quite so sure that, that, that you would have a guarantee these two teams are going to keep playing into the future. It just so happens that with this change potentially at the, at the uh, onset here, that it kind of gets a shrug from a lot of people. But boy, the big changes happening around college football could have a real impact on what this rivalry looks like in the future whether or not it even exists yeah i think the big thing working in its favor there is that this game is under contract through 2037 mm-hmm. and so that through these changes we're going to see in the next five years playoff expansion potential sec schedule expansion this game is going to be under contract which i believe will keep it centered and focused enough to where it can weather some of those changes and then figure out from there, okay, how does the game fit into the schedule and how do we keep this game on the schedule going forward? Because Georgia, as we know, is not going to be the only team that sort of wants to keep this game. Clemson, South Carolina. South Carolina actually, you know, went against the unanimity last year when voting to have yeah. uh, uh, non-conference games. They were the only one that wanted it because of that game against Clemson. I think Florida wants to continue to play Florida State because you cannot duck both Miami and Florida State on a yearly basis there. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky is another name to watch yeah. and going forward there as well. 
maybe it opens the door for Oklahoma and Oklahoma State to play every year because I do believe that there are people in that state that want to see that game continue as well. So I think there are enough allies within what this new SEC is going to look like to as well keep that game on the schedule. All right, so it's our Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Riley. The week after Georgia Tech is the game against Alabama. And let me give my feelings on this, Connor, and I want to make sure I say this accurately. I have every reason to believe that Alabama will give a Georgia a stiff test. I believe that as a formidable foe, the most formidable challenger that Georgia can play in 2021. I believe that to be true. Yet the evidence of how both these teams have played this season, it just doesn't do very much to argue for that. You know, once again on Saturday, the Alabama-Arkansas game, I think demonstrates the gap on the field that's existed between Georgia and Alabama. Georgia beat Arkansas 37 to nothing. And Alabama kind of got a test from Arkansas in its own stadium there on Saturday. The Florida game head-to-head competition is a little bit of a comparison there. Just the week-to-week SEC results, I think, tell you some of that story there too. As I said before, you know, I believe that Alabama is absolutely a stiff test for Georgia. I just find it fascinating how little evidence there is to prove that based on the way that both these teams have played this season. And you mentioned those two games there, uh, the Florida game and the Arkansas game, the head-to-head that we have so far. We'll get another head-to-head example this week, Auburn, though. I I don't know what Auburn team is going to show up there. Certainly not the one Georgia saw back on October 10th. Fair. Those two games that Georgia, when they played Florida and Arkansas, they played Florida in a neutral site, and then they played Arkansas at home. Combined score of that game was 71-7. to Arkansas-Florida against Alabama combined score, I believe, was 73-64, to doing the math there off the top of my head. If you don't factor in the past history of this Georgia-Alabama rivalry, if you would like to call it that, I think you can. It would not necessarily be wrong there. Georgia's clearly the better team than Alabama is. In fact, if you don't factor in that past history, I'd venture to say Georgia would probably be a touchdown favorite against Alabama in a neutral field. Now, we know the lines, and it's roughly about four and a half as of right now. And I think you have to factor in that past history. Channing Tindall was asked, you know, back-to-back games in Atlanta, you have Georgia Tech and in Alabama the next two weeks. And he answered the Alabama part of that question first and said, yeah, we're 0-2 against Alabama when I've played against him, and I'd love to change that. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, he's not overlooking Georgia Tech, but I think it speaks to the reality of the situation. This team is so aware uh, of the history, of the shortcomings against Alabama, of, of the history. And, and everyone in the program, you know, former players I've talked to, it's something they all acknowledge and it's something that very real that Georgia does need to get over and you would think this SEC championship game represents the best chance to make that happen given this is it's still a very good Alabama team but it very clearly has some flaws there as well you look at the way KJ Jefferson and Zach Calzada have carved up that defense compared to how they have played the rest of the year there's some very real concerns about that Alabama secondary and Alabama defense there but Bryce Young is looking like an incredible player Jamison Williams is you know, maybe not Devontae Smith, but Devontae Smith one and a half or something along the lines of that there. They're going to have an offense, I think, vertically to stretch this Georgia team. So we'll sort of see how it plays out. But, well, yes, Georgia is absolutely focused on Georgia Tech. They are not overlooking them. They understand the importance of this game. They also know what looms on December 4th. So you wrote an interesting piece at DogNation.com about the transfer portal. Kirby Smart talked about that a little bit yesterday and during his press conference. Obviously, Elias Ricks is a name that at different phases we've talked a lot about on this show because he was good friends with Kendall Milton. I think they've even kind of you know reignited some of that kind of stuff on social media over the last 24 hours or so. Uh, but good friends with Milton so much so that you wondered, hey, could he follow Kendall to Georgia? 
Well, ultimately, he went to LSU. Then there were all the rumors a year ago that, that Ricks, like a lot of folks were doing, may choose to leave LSU. Ultimately, Ricks didn't do that. Um, there was even the thing like during the season when, when he uh, stopped playing and you thought, well, maybe this is kind of the end for him there too. And then that kind of got kind of squashed. Well, now he's officially in the transfer portal. And I think that Ricks is a terrific player. Thinking selfish as a Georgia fan, though, I have to wonder, does Georgia even have room for a transfer player like this? Are really any of these high-profile transfers they're going to pop up just given what they're doing in recruiting right now, the fact they get a chance to sign a very big class this year because of some altered NCAA rules? You wonder you know, how much room there is for transfer portal stuff this year just given the fact that right now Georgia seems to be able to be very selective about what it wants in the recruiting trail, and it's not swinging and missing very much right now. Yeah, I'd be surprised if Elias Ricks ends up in this Georgia class just given what we know about Kirby Smart wanting to use the transfer portal I think if he had his way he would do away with the transfer portal I don't think he likes it but he understands it's a necessity in reality and that's maybe something Dabo Sweeney has not understood and it's maybe hurt Clemson a little bit there in that aspect and so you look you forecast ahead Georgia's going to take some transfer portal players because they're going to have needs but that needs not at the cornerback position. You're going to bring back Keely Ringo. Yeah. You get a healthy Jalen Kimber. You get year two of Kamari Lassiter and Nylon Green. You bring in uh, Jaheim Singletary, Julian Humphrey, fi- or a five-star and a four-star, both top 100 cornerbacks, along with Marquise Gross-Killaboo, though he's not expected to contribute in year one as he recovers from an ACL injury. You bring all that in, cornerback's not a need for this team next year. Whereas if you look at the roster, if Nolan Smith chooses to forego his final year of eligibility – outside linebacker becomes a very huge need and something I think Georgia's going to look at there anyway. You look at the wide receiver position. If they can get a speedy, fast field stretcher to sort of supplement what Arian Smith might be able to give you, just given he has not proven that he can stay healthy, I think that's a position where you look at maybe that's where they go out and at. Those two spots really, and maybe safety there as well. We'll see how this class sort of shakes out and as well as who decides to come back on this defense. But out, but cornerback does not project to be a need. And given all that Kirby Smart has had, and you can read what he had to say yesterday about it in the story I wrote this morning, I don't think we're going to see Elias Ricks on this team next year, even though he is undoubtedly a very talented and promising football player. Yeah, here's the thing that I think is an issue. You know, you look at the two defensive back transfers that Georgia brought in this year. In the case of Darian Kendrick, I think he's turned out to be about what Georgia thought he probably would be. In the case of Tyke Smith, there was obviously the injury situation, a couple of different injuries there, but... I don't get the indication that Tyke was necessarily just wowing people from the very beginning either. I'm not saying that to, to take a jab at him. I'm just saying it's not obvious that, that he was going to hold off Latavius Brini for that star role had he remained healthy. He played at a very high level at West Virginia a year ago, but I think it's hard to make the evaluation of how a guy like that is going to perform in the SEC. Kendrick, turns out, he's about what you thought he'd be. Tyke Smith, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. And that's the issue of the transfer portal. You know, for some programs – you know exactly what you're getting but a place like georgia where the competition is so stiff i'm talking about competition that you're playing but also competition to even get on the field it's so stiff just because a guy's played well somewhere else that's not really any indication whatsoever how he's going to perform in your program right and you look at you know the difference between taking more high school players and taking more transfer portal players if you're taking high school players sure they might not be able to contribute right away but you've got time to develop them into guys that are able to help your system and you can even look at some of the veterans on this defense a Devonte wyatt a Chris Smith, guys that were not big name recruits but have developed into really good players because they've been afforded that time. Transfer Porter doesn't give you that. You got to have instant reactions or instant um, results there. And Georgia planned on bringing in four transfer players this year. 
Brandon Turnage never made it to campus. Yeah. Arik Gilbert hasn't been with the team since the second week of practice. And Tyke Smith battled injury all season. That's one for four. That is not a good batting average in terms of getting what you want out of the transfer portal there. So while sure bringing in more recruits, and I expect Georgia to sign a very full class this year, might not necessarily help next year's team as much as a potential transfer player. In the long run, Georgia has proven and, and knows that it's better off betting on its development track record and, and scouting high school players than taking a bigger risk on transfer portal. Players. I'll also add the the specific attrition you had off the 2020 roster where so many guys left from one position group. That's a little bit unusual there, mm-hmm. too, whereas over the course of time, you expect a little bit more of an even distribution. But every now and then, you're going to have a bunch of guys leave from one group, and that may be one of those years in which Georgia does truly choose to use the portal a little bit more frequently. It's our Kroger Fresh Day with Connor Raleigh here right now. And Kroger's got a brand new offer that I want to make sure you're aware of. It's called Boost. You get more savings, more benefits with a new level of membership. With Boost, you get free grocery delivery, twice the fuel points, and special offers there as well. So you can enroll for as little as $59 a year. To learn more about this, check out Kroger.com slash Boost. That's Kroger.com slash Boost. And you can find more about that here today. Uh, Connor, what do you think about Dan Mullen and the fact that Florida is now looking for its uh, new head coach? It was obviously a hot topic on the show yesterday both for serious and humorous reasons yeah i don't want to say it played a part in the demise of dan mullen but you know i i was involved in in, in the pushing of the stones you you think back to the, the sure you the florida were. georgia yeah. game the, the recruiting topic really sparked things up with mullen i think making it clear that he, he knew he was not exactly longer for this job did not have the buy-in from his team you saw that against south carolina uh, they have to move on from defensive coordinator todd grantham offensive line coach there as well and you sort of got the feeling that Mullen knew he was not on very good ground and Florida made the decision it made after losing a very winnable game on the road at Missouri uh I I will say man it's a tough look for Star Wars with Dan Mullen and Eli Drinkwitz doing what they're doing and using props uh, I know you're a beloved Star Wars fan I I'm am. sure there are many people out there I am man Dan and, and, and Eli look like big dorks with these lightsaber duels and whatnot at press conferences I just I, I, I got to put that out there. I think that if Eli Drinkwitz and we're going to show this to you before the show's done because I think some folks yesterday said they didn't see it but if Drinkwitz is doing this to you I think there's an SEC bylaw that says you can't come back and coach yeah. like, it's a little known rule that if you get dunked on that badly by Eli Dorkwitz then you have to uh that you have to no longer be a coach in the sec and that's ultimately dan mullen's undoing here and you know I, there are a couple of things about this connor and we said this for, i think people used to think i was making this stuff up when i sang this but mullen was never as popular in gainesville as i think a lot of the media assumed that he was had a little bit of a tepid response from florida fans because they wanted their program to be a better recruiting uh power and they knew they weren't doing that but also and once again i think people thought i was just stirring the pot when i said this but when Mullen pushed those NFL rumors a year ago, when his camp spun that narrative of, oh, maybe I'll just go leave and take an NFL job, I don't think that sat well with the people in Florida. It's the kind of thing that made it seem like he wasn't all in on that program. And I do think there's been, and you know, guys like Matt Hayes have written about this, but I do think there's been a fairly substantial rift, if that's the right word, between uh, Mullen and Florida for quite some time. And so when folks wonder, well, how could all this happen so fast? This is like, what is it? Is it the uh, Ernest Hemingway quote? 
the, slowly then suddenly. I mean, that's kind of what this was. This has been happening slowly for a while, and then suddenly it kind of all came apart. But this is not the kind of thing that just bubbled up overnight. It has not been it has not been rosy for Mullen at Florida for quite some time. In fact, I think he had to be coerced to even take the job when he did. I think deep down he knew it might end this way, and it just kind of unfolded that way. Yeah, knowing what we know, I, I think Mullen was always trying to parlay this into an NFL coaching gig as the way we'd sort of seen Jim Harbaugh, other, you know, Chip Kelly in the past have done so. If we spin this forward here, like, would you would you like to play a little game with me? I would love to. You're you're the consummate Georgia fan, and you I are am. the chief Gator hater. I am. And so you know this Florida hire is a big one. I'm going to run through some coaches' names here, right. and you're going to tell me, as a Georgia fan, does the hire that Florida makes – if it based off this name that I get names that I give you, does that give you concern about the future of this rival? I think this is fine. Go ahead, Mario Cristobal. Worried or not worried? Uh, he'd he'd probably be the name that would worry me the most. And I use worry in air quotes yeah. here because I don't don't know that anybody scares Georgia right now. But Cristobal would be the closest to replicating what Kirby Smart has been able to do. Good coach who's also a good recruiter. Interesting. I'm not worried about Mario Cristobal. Okay, James Franklin. No, not at all. I, th- I think that Kirby would enjoy beating up on Franklin the way that he enjoys beating up on Dan Mullen. I think I think I think that Franklin would raise the ire of Kirby Smart. Also, Franklin's just not winning enough at Penn State for me to take him seriously. Lane Kiffin. Kiffin does one thing really well, which would obviously be a little bit of a problem is is that he would generate a lot of attention and he would move the ball offensively. But ultimately, uh, he's not as nuts and bolts as for me as a guy like Cristobal. So I, I don't believe that, that Kiffin is a real threat to Georgia. No. Ole Miss 13th in the SEC recruiting rankings right now. Yeah. I think Florida wants to hire a very good recruiter. Fair enough. Billy Napier. Sounds like the guy who's favored or at least heavily linked to getting the job. Yeah. So here's the thing about Napier. It's like a 50-50 proposition, right? It's like no one knew that Urban Meyer was a great coach when they hired him, and he turned out to be. But also, everybody thought Justin Fuente was a great coach when Virginia Tech hired him, and he's turned out not to be. It's like, I have no idea. I mean, whatever you think the possibility is for uh, for a Napier, cut it in half because it's a coin flip of will he achieve that or not. I understand why other programs are seemingly going after him, but Florida hiring a coach with deep ties to Louisiana feels like a very Florida thing to do because once you move to Florida, you ain't getting those players Louisiana anymore. Um, uh, so this feels like a little bit of an odd thing for Florida to be in this big of a hurry to do, but I, I guess that's there. Uh, I really don't know what to say about Napier, but a guy with that small of a resume isn't moving the needle in comparison to Kirby Smart, though. One last name here, and this is a fun one. All right. Dan Quinn. Yeah, that's interesting. And I think you what you brought this up on cover four the other day, I think, which I think is a really cool idea. He's obviously Cowboys defensive coordinator. I mean, it'd be the butt of jokes for a lot of Georgia fans who are also Falcons fans. But the fact that you even have to go to a Quinn or go to a guy like Bob Stoops who hasn't coached in a million years or go to, you know, Urban Meyer somehow deciding the NFL's not for him, I think it sort of shows you two things. First of all, how desperate Florida might be, but also just how few big names are are out there. I mean I don't know. It seems like years ago when we played the coaching carousel game, there were always big names you could hire. It just seems like now there are just so few of those guys who are really out there that – you know, Cristobal would, to me, be the best hire that Florida's made in a long time, which is probably the ultimate sign they're not going to do it. But other than that, I mean, almost anything – seems not demonstrably better than what they have with Dan Mullen. At least that's in my mind. There's very little Florida could could do that would truly get my attention. And I'll push back on the Cristobal thing a little bit. Because while, yes, he does a lot of the same things that are similar to Kirby Smart, we've seen too many of what we saw on Saturday in his time there at Oregon. Yeah. Games where 
And granted, they were an underdog on the road at Utah, and that's a tough place to play. But games where they are the more talented team and they just don't show up and they lose. Have, Their offense is terrible. They'd have Look at what Justin Herbert is doing in the NFL. Yep. And he was and, not good his last year and, at Oregon. And they could not find out to figure out a way to use him there yep. as well. So uh, the crystal ball, it, it, it doesn't. It, it doesn't worry me in the sense that cool you know it makes recruiting a little bit more difficult you still trust Kirby Smart there it might make Georgia beating Alabama on a consistent basis a little bit harder but at the end of the day Kirby Smart is a better coach than Mario Cristobal is yep. and you if you want to really get into the nuts and bolts of it sure he's lost to Alabama and LSU but since he really got things up and rolling in that 2015 season there's only been one of those real you you shouldn't have lost that game you were more talented you were the better team than that it happened in South Carolina in 2019 at Oregon that happens two to three times every season that he's been there and I, I you know he's getting to a point now where you know you factor in his time as a head coach yeah, at fair FIU enough. we kind of know what he is as a head coach now and we knew what Mullen was and Florida ignored that and I think they're paying the price for it right now 12 million dollars uh, his buyout there and, and I wonder if if Cristobal is the same thing there as well. All right, fair. Let me do one last thing with you then. Um, and th- I find this to be fascinating. Maybe you don't. Maybe the audience doesn't. But I, but I find this to be fascinating. So let's say, hypothetically, that Mike Leach is no longer coach at Mississippi State. After everything that's gone on, could Dan Mullen get his old job back? And what I'm asking you here is, is a guy who left a lower-tier SEC job, which makes it a middle-tier job in college football, to take the big job at Florida – has his stature now been diminished that he's actually less than he was before he took the Florida job? Could Mullen theoretically get the MSU job back right now? No, because the book on because he's made it so very clear he just does not want to recruit or does not value recruiting. And because of that, in the SEC, he might be able to get an ACC job, maybe a certain Big 12 job if, if he fits the right profile there and what they're looking for. But – Given how much you have to recruit in the SEC, and, and even you know Mike Leach and Mississippi State, they're going to still sign a top thirty-five. They're going to sign a pretty good class, all things considered. Yeah. You have to be able to recruit there, and he has just shown he does not have. He no longer has, and he may not have ever had it. Has the desire to go out and recruit on a level to win enough at the SEC level. So does it become a cautionary tale? Because I do truly believe that Mullen had to be coerced to take the Florida job. That I think deep down he knew this wasn't a good thing for him, yet he did take it. And I believe you might be right that his stature has now been diminished. That going back to get the old job that he once had, or that level of job somewhere else, has now been made harder for him. Does this cause other coaches to say, "Hey, you know what? Let me not mess with Happy. Let me stay where I am." Do, do does Mullen end up being a signal to other coaches of? Maybe the grass isn't greener with the better job. How, how does this impact other coaching decisions in the future? Right. Let, let, SEC might be tough, especially because, like, I think Lane Kiffin in the dream scenario, like, you just be like, yeah, I'm just going to stay at Ole Miss and run things here for a while. I'll, I'll never – people will never get mad enough for me. I can do what I want, and I can win enough to where I'm able to contend for a New Year's Six Bowl. But it sounds like he really wants to go to Miami, assuming that job comes open. But look at some – look at, say, like, Jeff Halfley at Boston College or Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, guys who – are in the process of building really good programs there. And if they want to stay there for a while, I think they can build up, you know, consistent winners and other big jobs are going to come calling for them. But unless it is a true blue blood of blue blood job, and I'm not sure right now, Florida is that just given the way we've seen some of their hires pan out in the last decade. Florida is a cheap program. Yes. And, uh, unless it is a slam dunk, it's it's Alabama where you know, similar to Saban, they're going to give you all the administrative support behind that Alabama machine. Uh, I, I think you look at, say, a Clemson as well. It, that's the big thing to look at here. 
in guys taking jobs. And Kirby Smart absolutely nailed this when he got to Georgia. It's why he came to Georgia. He, he told the administration, you have to sign off on everything I want. Yeah. That you have to have the administrative buy-in. That's why Miami is having a lot of problems right now. I think for Florida for a long time there under the end of the Jeremy Foley area, they were having similar issues there. You need 100% administrative buy-in. That is what Saban and Sweeney have gotten at Alabama and Clemson. That's why those two programs are the best in college football on a consistent basis. I think Georgia is there as well, and yet you're going to see those results play out on the field this year. If you're not getting that from, from the school you're going to, I can I promise you it is not worth it to go to that school. I think that's probably true. Connor, great stuff. Thanks for being here for our Kroger Fresh Take here today. We'll look forward to reading a bunch from you at dognation.com. Hope you're also getting ready for a very happy Thanksgiving and uh, a lot of fun football coming up in the uh, weeks after that. Yep, as always, it was a pleasure, B.A. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So one more thing to kind of keep our little thought exercise going there for a moment. You know, I talked about not messing with happy that when you're at a place like Mississippi State, if you're Dan Mullen or Connor mentions Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, hey, maybe you stay there. You don't go take the big job where you eventually get burned out very quickly or they burn you out very quickly and you're just kind of you're just kind of done with that. Here's like the one thing we can never know, though, is is like how long can you stay at a middle tier job enjoying middle tier success before eventually they kind of get frustrated? Because think about Mullen in 2017 at Mississippi State. There were a lot of Bulldogs fans that weren't very happy with him then. And, you know, they were supposed to be better that year. They turned out to be. Remember, they were only about a field goal underdog when they came to Athens and lost the game 31 to three. So eventually, you know, those fans get restless the same way any other fan base does there, too. So it's kind of tricky it's almost like you have to move on to the bigger job eventually or they'll just sort of get tired of you providing the same level of mississippi state style success over and over managing the 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 coaching carousel if you are the coach is a tricky thing that you can take a job and get stuck there or you can take a job and get burned out quickly to the point where it's sort of hard to get back on the on the ride again after that and obviously with the, the programs themselves <laughs> It is also a uh, wild thing there, too. It's one of the reasons why we love coaching rumors, why we love this time of year, is just because it is just all so uh, much fun. By the way, speaking of fun, we're going to have a ton of fun coming up in the month of April, and we're going to tell you about that right now as we go cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Now, one of the things you've been hearing me tell you about there for for the last couple days is the first-ever Dog Nation cruise. Now, this goes on still in just a few days. November 29th is the on-sale day for this, as Dog Nation sets for the seas on Independence of the seas with Royal Caribbean. We're going to be spending time in uh, Nassau in the Bahamas. Perfect day, Coco Cay. We're going to have all kinds of special Dog Nation themed events on the cruise ship. It's NFL Draft Week, so we'll watch the draft there on that Thursday night. And we may have some special guests along with all this there as well. This is just going to be the biggest thing the Dog Nation's ever done. We wanted to do something gigantic here uh, for the new year, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Dog Nation Cruise goes on sale November 29th for a cruise that's going to set sail April 25th. That's the week of April 25th, uh, April 25th to the 29th. That's when the cruise is going to be setting sail, going out of Port Canaveral on Independence of the Seas with Royal Caribbean. It's our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority that made this all possible. We told you about the Cruise and Vacation Authority for a while. If we're booking Royal Caribbean travel, there's nobody we'd rather turn to than our partners at the Cruise and Vacation Authority because they know Royal Caribbean, all the ins and outs, all the things that make that terrific. So use the Cruise and Vacation Authority for your own Royal Caribbean cruise, and hopefully you'll join us for ours there as well. When we hit that coming up, uh, it's going to be really, really good. Can we f- show folks the, uh, the website's tcava.com? That's tcava.com. You can also give them a call there as well, uh, 770-952-8300. That's 770-952-8300. 
And that'll get you in touch with the Cruise and Vacation Authority. Be ready to go. November 29th, we're going on sale. Independence of the Seas in April. April 25th and 29th, leaving Port Canaveral, going to Nassau, going to Perfect Day Coco Cay for the very first ever Dog Nation Cruise. And a lot of surprises to tell you about about that as we get closer. So can't wait for all of that. Now, we're cruising on the SEC here. You heard Connor mention this a moment ago. It certainly seems like right now there's a little bit of indication that Florida is trying to move fast on Billy Napier. Napier, of course, as many of you are aware, the head coach at Louisiana Lafayette. He's had great success there. There's some thought that Virginia Tech might be swooping in to try to get uh, Napier there as well. So seemingly, there seems to be a belief that maybe Florida wants to act before someone else does in scooping up Napier. And as I said before, maybe this hire works and maybe it doesn't we kind of never know when lsu hired uh nick saban away from michigan state you know saban was a nondescript coach no one really knew that much about him when florida hired urban meyer a a few years ago there as well there was also this thought of well can a guy like this who's made his bones outside the sec because utah had been to a bcs bowl the year before so you know urban meyer made a little bit of a name for himself but there was this thought of well can that really work here in the sec there's plenty of skepticism sometimes the nondescript coach becomes a all-time great other times the nondescript coach kind of shows you why he was nondescript before he got there this really is just kind of reaching into a grab bag and, and hoping you get something good and so because of that i don't know that many georgia fans are going to be all that moved one way or another by the hiring of napier and the one issue that florida is going to have with a coach like this who's stepping into the big time for the very first time this isn't Kirby Smart in this division in 2016-2017 when there weren't very many good teams in the division and the path towards building something great was fairly fairly open. This is a time now in which you're trying to build a program in the shadow of what Kirby Smart's already built at Georgia. I, I say this literally. I, I think the presence of Smart at, at, at UGA is almost enough to discourage someone from even taking the Florida job because you're going to have to take something off Kirby's plate to even build anything there in, in Gainesville right now. And that's just not an easy thing to do at all. So, you know, maybe a guy like Napier embraces that challenge. Maybe he doesn't. But I think there are plenty of coaches who might be tempted to take the Florida job at the presence of Kirby. I just think it's too much for them to even want to get involved in something like that so i mean you know the napier thing is just it's just like a lot of things in life where you know you draft a quarterback if you're an nfl team maybe he's good maybe he's not you hire a coach who's been good at the group of five level every coach that is good at the group of five level eventually gets a big time college job to come after that but um some of these guys turn out to be stars some of them don't i think one of the things that would concern me though if i was a gators fan is this notion that i'm having to to act fast there was the rumor yesterday i think it turned out not to be true that the plane had left gainesville and it was heading due west and kind of find out maybe it wasn't going to lafayette louisiana you know who, who knows how all this stuff plays out but the fact that you've got to act fast to keep virginia tech from swooping in and getting the guy that you want I mean, that just doesn't sound very, very big time, does it? That sounds desperate to me. And right now, maybe Florida is a desperate program. But boy, when it when it comes to the position of strength, I mean, historically speaking, if I'm talking about in my lifetime, the two SEC programs that have been the most dominant, I'm not it doesn't take, give me any great pleasure to say this, but it's been Alabama. It's been Florida. You know, Florida won the SEC East, what, four years in a row, won back-to-back SEC championships in 95 and 96. This was once a, a really big-time program. And you look at Alabama, when it hired Nick Saban, 
it, it, it stole the Miami Dolphins coach. I mean, so, so a lot of ways, Alabama and Florida have, as programs have been mentioned in the same breath. But when you look at what Alabama did, the maneuvering it made to hire its coach, Nick Saban, going back to 2007 when it happened, they swooped in and stole him from the Miami Dolphins. You've got Florida here in 2021 trying to swoop in and steal a guy from Louisiana Lafayette before a Averages Grits Virginia Tech program gets in there first and steals him. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know what to make about all of that. A couple other things to get to here, really quickly. College Bowl Playoff Top 25 comes out tonight, and I guess the story here right now is who's just not a part of this conversation at all anymore. No more Pac-12. No more ACC. Not that there ever really was. I mean, the door is now open for. First of all, you got to bring the Big Twelve back in the discussion. At one point in time, you kind of um, you kind of moved them away, but you got to kind of bring them back in. You know, I think there's still a look at both Ohio State and Michigan under the right circumstances. That I think both those teams are still worth a look, despite the fact they're playing each other right now. Obviously, Michigan State did the Big Ten no favors with the way they played against Ohio State uh, this past weekend. You know, Cincinnati's right there. If you're a Cincinnati fan, the fact that there's so much erosion of other would-be contenders, I think you probably have to view that as a pretty good thing right now. And then obviously, uh, Georgia kind of sits there too. And I've been very skeptical about the notion that Georgia could make the playoff if it did not win the sec that's a nerve-wracking idea to consider just given the fact that you're putting a lot of faith in a committee that just doesn't use logic very well but when you see all that's happening right now and the chaos that's abounding with that kind of that that group just outside the top four or 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 bottom part of the top four and below i mean i think now you have to be kind of on guard for anything there with that and of course rivalry weekend also on tap for this weekend there as well egg bowl comes up on thursday we'll talk more about that you know, just interesting, the dynamic here between these two coaches, between Leach and, and Kiffin. I know Kiffin got in a little bit of trouble yesterday because he's a little critical of Ole Miss fans. Not really showing up for the Vandy game. They also weren't there in big numbers for the Liberty game a couple weeks before that. So that's kind of put him in a little bit of a spotlight, weirdly, ahead of this Egg Bowl. These, these two teams obviously don't like each other very much. You've already heard a lot of Ole Miss players embracing all of that. So that's getting ready for Thanksgiving night. And then, of course, Iron Bowl and everything else. I think South Carolina-Clemson is a fun game all of a sudden on Saturday. My guess is it's probably a bridge too far for Shane Beamer to go out and get another win. But he's already beat Florida and Auburn in the same year. That's not something that anyone would have thought possible for him, for the most part, when this season began. I mean, can you imagine how his fortunes as Gamecocks coach could be changed if he could find a way to beat a Clemson team that certainly looked the part of getting right last week against Wake Forest but still has its share of issues? All of a sudden, that South Carolina-Clemson game is actually a, a good bit more fun. So uh, think about that, and we'll make that your SEC through. And here on Dog Nation Daily, I want to give you something that many of you said that you missed the other day. So I want to make sure you're aware of that, and I'll tell you uh, more about this uh, coming up in a moment. Let me also give a quick shout-out here to uh, my folks the Classic City Lager. Obviously, you're getting together with family and friends for this Thanksgiving weekend, and one of the things that's great there for that is Classic City Lager. It's just good, cold beer. Uh, it's a simple thing i like simple things i like lager style beers that taste great i like craft style lager and that's what classic city lager can provide for you and you're already out doing your shopping you're getting those final items you need to be ready for thanksgiving the turkey and the the sides and everything like that well while you're shopping just pick up some classic city lager there as well because wherever you're doing your shopping it's available six and 12 pack cans all year long from creature comforts brewing company it's taste of athens but you don't have to be in athens to get it you can find it wherever you're doing your shopping today classic city lager from creature comforts brewing company it's just good cold beer all right so a lot of you said the other day yeah yesterday we talked about the eli drinkwitz moment 
A lot of you said you missed this. And so I'm going to give this to you. And the audio is pretty short here on this. It's almost like you need the context of the video. So I think for our video side, we will show this to you. So you'll remember a year ago when Mullen and Florida played Missouri. And Dan Mullen embarrassed himself that night. And when I said that at the time, a lot of uh, Florida fans were like, oh, B.A., you're state, or blah, blah, blah. Well, the truth is he did embarrass himself. Uh, you know, instigating a, a, a brawl. And the SEC, I can promise, was not too happy about that. And then wearing the Darth Vader costume at the game, that was that was not a good thing to do. And it got a lot of attention for the wrong reasons with the very important people both in Gainesville and across the SEC. And also got Missouri's attention there as well. Eli Drinkwitz, after pulling the upset win in Columbia this past weekend, knowing that, they, that Mullen had dressed like Darth Vader, well, he was ready with his own troll in response to this. And... This is, if you know Eli Drinkwitz, this is sort of a very much Drinkwitz kind of in his own uh, mold here a little bit, but bringing back the Star Wars jab in the direction of Dan Mullen. Some of you said you missed this. Let me give it to you. May the force be with you. I love how proud he is of that. That's my favorite part. It's not so much like he does the hood thing and gets the lightsaber out. You kind of wonder where did he even get the lightsaber. Uh, I love how proud he is. And, and this is what you need the video for. When he kind of turns back that can of what I'm sure is sugar-free soda, when he turns that can back and like, ah, he's just kind of rocked back on that. He's just very happy with himself. And so I, I find all that to, uh, to be really funny. So good job by Eli Drinkwitz there on uh, that front. And obviously... That will be standing as the final moment of the Mullen era there in Florida, so maybe somewhat fitting with all of that. A couple more things I want to tell you about here for a moment. You know that we're getting ready to be at Marlowe's Tavern next Thursday. Marlowe's in Brookhaven uh, for our Chase for the Championship event there. Our friends at Classic City Lager are actually going to be on hand there with us there. And also, we've got a big, big thing that we're going to be doing. I'm going to tell you how you can win this coming up. I think tomorrow we're going to do this. Let me give you a heads up on this, that we're going to be at Marlowe's in Brookhaven next Thursday, starting at 6 p.m. for our Chase for the Championship event, getting ready for the SEC Championship game. But Marlowe's Tavern is also going to be giving away a VIP experience that includes a reserve table for four and a $150 food and beverage credit. You can imagine that chef-inspired food, craft cocktails, $150 worth right there at the Marlowe's uh, in uh, Brookhaven. This is a really cool gift, a really fun thing for a huge, huge event coming up at the uh, Marlowe's in Brookhaven next Thursday. In fact, let me go ahead and do the giveaway for this right now. So here's what we're going to do. I said I was going to wait and do this tomorrow, but let me just go ahead and do it now. You can kind of get involved in this. So what we're going to do is we're going to send an email, info at dognation.com. Now, I need something specific from you on this, okay? Specific from you. This is not just, you know, hey, let me have that table. Uh, This is what I need. So over the course of the years, Dog Nation's done a lot of events at Marlowe's Tavern. And we have featured a lot of then UGA recruits who've gone on to be great players at the University of Georgia, some even on this current team, even still right now. So here's what I need from you. If you want to be the winner of the Marlowe's VIP experience, this is what I need. I need you to name at least two UGA recruits who have joined us in the past at Marlowe's events. Doesn't have to be the Marlowe's in Brookhaven, just any of the Marlowe's taverns that we've been at before. Two UGA recruits who've joined us at our Marlowe's events. Let us know the answer to that. It's been a bunch of them over the years. We just need you to give us two of them, any two that you want to pick there. And you might be selected as the winner for the big VIP experience 
Reserve table for four, $150 in food and beverage credit. We're going to be at Marlowe's in Brookhaven coming up there next week. That is going to be incredible. Also, as we get ready for Rivalry Weekend, obviously a lot of you love betting on these games. BetUS, the one to turn to for all of that, whether it be Egg Bowl on Thursday or clean old-fashioned hate on Saturday or everything else in between. Uh, BetUS, the one to turn to for that. They've been America's most beloved sports book for more than 25 years. They take good care of their players. They're even going to take good care of you when you sign up for the very first time because when you use the promo code dn125 the dn stands for dog nation the 125 stands for the 125 percent bonus that you're going to get for signing up you are a winner before you even start bet us puts more money in your account to begin with than you put in there that's how bet us going to take care of it so use the promo code dn125 at the website betus.com and make yourself some money on the games as we roll into the weekend and obviously here for our golden shoe, which is not going anywhere, anywhere, folks. Uh, folks have kind of turned their attention to the team that wears gold, clean old-fashioned. Hey, we're going to get a lot of golden shoe uh, themes around the uh, tech game here for today and tomorrow. Don't forget, no dog nature daily on Thursday or Friday. So we'll do a bunch of golden shoes there tomorrow. In fact, I think we have one to show you f- today. Our buddy Joshua Campbell giving this. <laughs> I don't know why I like this. The uh, baseball fight here with the uh, UGA guy uh, punching the tech guy there he says we run this state he gives you the uh hashtag the hell with georgia tech rec tech hashtag jd nyc we always love seeing that so joshua campbell kind of gets us going here for clean old-fashioned hate coming up on saturday it's kind of nice to see folks turning their golden shoe attention towards georgia tech we'll do a bunch of those tomorrow there as well by the way speaking of the rivalry that matters more than any else going back to jacksonville we don't know who the coach is going to be yet but 340 days from right now we know georgia's given a beat down to those lousy stinking gators we'll see tomorrow dog nation daily presented by engineered solutions of georgia and on the podcast time now for the rs andrews podcast cool down we'll take a couple comments here on your thoughts on what's going on with uga right now by the way as we're doing the show it was announced that jordan davis one of the three finalists of the outland trophy for the nation's best interior lineman that's both offense and defense it's a very prestigious award as you know so i'd love to see davis in the mix for that I also thought it was funny that Jermaine King put on Twitter that I'm pretty sure that Jordan Davis is currently averaging a touchdown every other rushing attempt. He says, I think that qualifies him to be inducted as a new member of RBU. He also gives you hashtag JD to NYC. Very good stuff from Jermaine on that. Also at DogNation.com, a lot of folks weighing in on the future of Dan Mullen. Uh, SP Dog says if Munkin gets a head coaching position, don't be surprised to see Mullen in Athens as an offensive coordinator next year. Boy, I'm not quite so sure I would ever make peace with all of that it's certainly funny to think about Rock also kind of says the same thing that he thinks that he'll end up in tuscaloosa before athens he says although it'd be fun to watch ba wrestle with that yeah boy they'd have to be a big reckoning to ever welcome dan mullen here to athens i think uh, at one point in time i guess kirby and dan were actually pretty good friends you know living around the lake together i think that may have changed at a certain point clearly kirby enjoys beating up on mullen enjoys beating up on florida but um I don't know what Mullen's future is. I, t- I talked about this with Connor Riley on the show. That if you think about him at one point in time being a very, you know, well-respected middle-tier coach that based on the way that it ends at Florida, you almost wonder, could he get that back? You know, has his star been diminished at Florida to the point where he'd have a hard time being the guy that he once was? So um, I think that's fair to ask and interesting comments all the way around. We're going to bounce out of here for right now. Thanks for being here as a part of our R.S. Andrews podcast cool down. Y'all check out R.S. Andrews online, rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, 
plumbing, and electric needs. I don't know why I said air conditioning. Air conditioning, heating, plumbing, electric needs. Fact is, you don't really need the AC right now. Anyway, but that heating unit, you can get that furnace tuned back up to factory fresh specs, breathe some new life into it if you feel like it might be on its last legs. We'll see you tomorrow on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Engineered Solutions of Georgia and the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cooled After, after That. Have a great day, everybody.